All right, I think we're ready to go. Hey, welcome to our last, uh, our final, our fourth and final of our, I think final, sometimes I change my mind, um, of the Fables uh, sermon series. Um, Next week is Father's Day. You are going to want to get men there and little men there, and I'm going to, it is going to be an R-rated for violence sermon. So even if you're just curious, you need to get there. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be like a John Wick kind of a sermon. Uh, Next week for Father's Day, I'm going to show you how when the men of God rise up in the world, then injustice is put down. But until the men of God rise up and band together and form a brotherhood, until then the devil will, will rule this world and he'll reign unchecked because men need to step up and do what God made the sons of God to do. And it's going to be a powerful sermon and you're going to love it. And uh, I'm not going to worry about your feelings because it's going to be a sermon for men. All right. Um, this uh, is called Don't Bury It, our, our fourth and final, I think, uh, fable. Everyone says that they wish that they would have grown up in a healthy home. Like nobody is like, I'm glad that my home was unhealthy that I grew up in. Or like right now, uh, nobody would say like, I'm glad that my home right now is unhealthy. You know, I'm glad I have unhealthy relationships. I'm happy that this is unhealthy, that I'm unhealthy, that I spend money in an unhealthy way, that I'm unhealthy at work. Like nobody says that because it's not, you know, socially acceptable to say that. But but Jesus, when he healed, um, he healed a man who had been, uh, had a condition where he couldn't walk for like decades. And he says something to him sometime that, that he says something to him that he'll say to you sometime that is going to hit you kind of in a funny place because he says to the man, because he's right there and the man's looking for a miracle, but he's not looking for Jesus. I said, he's looking for a miracle, but Jesus is standing right here and he misses Jesus right here who could, you know, is the author of all miracles. And so sometimes what, what you and I want in the way that we want the miracle prevents us from getting the miracle because God sent somebody else and you just weren't paying attention to it. And so Jesus himself is standing here. The man's looking at the pool and Jesus says to him, well, he says to the man who's not looking at, he says, do you want to be made well? You need to stop and pause there. Like, do you want to be made well? Here we have a man whose body was unhealthy and Jesus got to the heart of the matter in this unhealthy man's body and he said, do you want to be made well? Because I'm here and if I'm here, I could make you well. But I can't if you don't want me to. See, an unhealthy person, an unhealthy husband, an unhealthy father, an unhealthy woman, an unhealthy employee, an unhealthy child doesn't necessarily want to be made well. And until you cross that threshold, you won't be healthy. But you and I, even when we're in an unhealthy place, we never say, I don't want to be healthy. We would never say that of ourselves. But Jesus, he just cuts all through all the noise and he's like, sometimes you don't want it. And that's where we got to start. So, so COVID fans, can I say this? Do you want to go back to work? Yes. Some of y'all like getting money and staying at home and doing nothing but do you want your job back? Because now there's going to be competition for it. And maybe who you were before is not going to be enough after. Like maybe somebody else who works a little bit harder than you and who wants it more than you, maybe somebody who came from another country for a better opportunity is going to take the opportunity that you should want. Do you really want it back? Do you, here's another thing. Do you want a good dad? There's nobody in the world who'd be like, I don't want a good dad. There's nobody in the world who'd be like, I don't want a healthy, you know, husband or friend or employer or whatever that looks like. But you need to understand 
that this whole healthy and unhealthy thing, we always tell ourselves, I want my spouse to be healthier. I want, I want to be healthy. I want to. Do you really though? Because when people are un, unhealthy, they allow themselves a story that keeps them unhealthy. And when they get around healthy people, healthy people have zero tolerance for unhealthy stories. Mic drop. I could end the sermon right there. There are expectations that healthy people have. Now, here's what I would say. If if your husband would even get healthy, if your wife would even get healthy emotionally and spiritually and morally and physically, if they would even get healthy, would that be attractive to you or would that be repellent to you if you decide to stay unhealthy? It's just an interesting thought because healthy people don't put up with unhealthy people garbage. And the only person who wants to work in an unhealthy company is an unhealthy person. But when you all of a sudden start getting like, I said this the other day, because like, okay, marriage counseling. I'm like, do you think that that person could act that way? You know, if, if that man acted that way in my mom's home, if my dad insisted, my dad's here, you know, in the studio audience. If my dad insisted on acting like that, do you think that my Irish mom would let him live in that house? And all the ladies are like, "Uh uh-uh, right? Did I do that right? Here's another thing. If my mom insisted on acting like that, would she be allowed to stay in that house? Oh, ladies, come on, you can't have it just one way. No, no, no. There's this thing that if... We always say, like, I want to be healthy. I want to be healthy. Do you really, though? Because healthy people don't put up with unhealthy garbage. It's just interesting thought. Everybody wants to have a healthy dad. So my dad was a healthy dad. He wasn't perfect. He was flawed, but he was healthy. He was honest. He was moral. He loved Jesus. You know, he's just a great dad. He's still my, a great dad. But there was expectations. So let me tell you, studio audience, about the expectations of my dad's house. You didn't get to act like a jerk. Ever. And if your brother called you fat, which he did, my brother, you still didn't get to punch him. Like I did, but then the wrath of God fell on me. But you were always responsible for your own reactions. You were responsible. It was very empowering as a child to have a healthy father. But I wonder if, if you grew up in an unhealthy home, sometimes unhealthy people with unhealthy fathers, they don't mind it because then they get to be as unhealthy as they want to be. And they can, they can mouth off mom, and they don't get murdered, because my dad would have murdered me if I would have ever mouthed off mom. Like, you might as well just move to Mexico, because there's no place in this country for you if you want to act like that towards your mother. But some of us, we like acting poorly, and because we like that, it enables us, because we tell ourselves a story that, that we surround ourselves with unhealthy people, we surround ourselves with unhealthy thinking and unhealthy emotion, people who agree with us because they're also unhealthy. But if you would actually step into a room of healthy people, they'd be like, yeah, I don't know if you're thinking right about that. In fact, I think that you could probably, I think this is your piece of that pie, and I think you should probably deal with that. A healthy conversation. See, one time, um, my grandma came and my grandma lived on the farm. And so she, she drove her car from the farm uh, to, my, to our house. And so my dad's like, boys, you need to wash that car because it came like it had a quarter inch of mud caked on it. So he gives us like um, he gives us a hose. He gives us a hose and, and uh, a bucket and a sponge. Right. But no soap. And he's like, clean that car. And so like a half an hour, an hour later, Ryan and I are out there and I was in junior high. So, you know, like work ethic. Uh. But, you know, like. 
you can't clean that kind of mud off a car. And we tried a little bit. We probably didn't try as much. And then I went back in the house and I'm like, dad, what do you think? You know, like he came out and he looks at it. And I'll tell you, when a healthy dad looks at that car, that looks like it's just, he looks at it and it's just mud streaked all over. We got the chunks off of it, but it was disgusting. And he's like, boy, you want your grandma to drive that car around town? Looking like that. I remember the sense of disappointment that he had in me. That sense of like, you could have done a lot better. In fact, you should have done a lot better because there's no way that I'm going to let your grandma get in that car and drive it around. It's this idea of, now, she, did prom- she actually promised me that car when I turned 16. That's the funny story. But then I, either she forgot about it or dad, who's never admitted to this, called her on the phone and said, don't give him a car. He needs to work for it. Because I would not put that past him. He would do, actually do that. So that was disappointing when I turned 16 and got no car. But dad was pleased about that. Maybe that's why, because I didn't wash it. <laughs> it's possible. I don't know. I'm glad, though. I'm glad that I got to work for everything that I had. But, li- but listen, listen. What happens is, what happens is, now here's, here's the main kind of, I'm just loosening you up here because I'm going to have to come at something that society told you that was totally wrong, that you also believe is totally wrong. Okay. This is what we say. Okay, love should be unconditional. Okay, the Bible would agree. Like, love should be unconditional. I should love you no matter what you do. No matter what you're like, I should love you. Right. But then, but then, this is what, what the devil got all twisty and got in here. And so, unconditional love. I should love my daughters no matter what they, I should love my, I should love my wife. I should, no matter what they're like, I should love them. True. But then, but then, the devil took it one step further and it said, okay, okay. I should love them unconditionally, but I should also, are you ready? Accept them unconditionally. Whoa, 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 okay. Loving me unconditionally is the same thing as accepting me unconditionally. So I can be any kind of jerk that I I can think of to be, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you should love me and accept me and accept all my behavior. This is what gets marriages in all sorts of trouble, right? Oh, no, no, he, he doesn't love me unconditionally. No, he doesn't want to live with the psychopath. That's different. He loves the psycho, but he doesn't want to live with one. That's different. He didn't sign up to live with a psychopath, and neither did you. So we have this like, no, no. What you need to understand is in the, in the kingdom of heaven, love is unconditional, but acceptance is conditional. If God cannot, cannot correct you, because he has to accept everything that you are. How can he save you? you? You look at it and you're just like, yes, but see, Jesus loves sinners. He does, but he loves them so much that he wants to remove the sin from their life. So that they quit destroying themselves. And destroying the people around them. Unhealthy people have made a pact that says, I need, you need to, to love me unconditionally, you need to accept me unconditionally. When you don't accept me unconditionally, you don't love me. But as soon as that kind of unhealthy thinking gets in there, then it allows that person to stay sinful, and you make a pact with the devil because you're like, accept me and accept my sin. Yeah, but pastor, everybody sins. True. But not everybody asks everybody else to accept their sinful parts. There's two parts of you. The one that God made and the one that God is redeeming. The thing that's getting better. And then there's the other part of you that's the nasty part that you yourself wouldn't live with. 
Now, what we do when we have this unconditional acceptance idea is that we're like, accept all of me because this is all of me. And if you don't love all of me, you don't love any of me. All of you? Even the parts of you that you hate about you? Paul the Apostle's like, there are things that I do that I hate about myself. You're like, yes, but God is love. Yeah, but God doesn't love sin and he doesn't love it when he hates racism. (laughs) He hates injustice. He hates child abuse. He hates... Oh, yeah, yeah. He loves the sinner because he sees what you could be and, and he would redeem you and welcome you into the family, but he hates the sin. He wants to clean you up. He, the duck and the oil spill. He wants to get all that oil off of you, the stickiness of sin. And as soon as you demand that everybody accepts you unconditionally, then what happens is, as soon as that happens, you accept me unconditionally. Your love towards them becomes conditional. And you start withholding love and affection and words of affirmation. You start withholding because you feel like they're withholding love from you when they're not. They love you, but they won't accept you in that fashion. So, so should Pastor Aaron accept me on any, old, any way that I want to act towards her? Should she accept me? Should my daughters even respect me as a father if I want to do any old thing that I want to? What is, how does that work then with the, the conditional thing and my self-worth and Jesus sees a you that you can't see yet. And he has the ability to redeem your life. But we have to get to this place where we realize that if we're unhealthy, it's because part of that is because we want to be unhealthy. Because we've told ourselves a story that you have to accept me no matter what I do. See, see, the Holy Spirit saved you by the blood of Jesus for one purpose, that you would bear much fruit. So how can you bear much fruit if you will not allow yourself to be corrected and pruned because you're, all, you're out there trying to tell God that you're perfect? I'm, I'm perfect just the way that I am. No, you, no, absolutely not. Nobody who lives with you thinks that. This whole idea of like fruit, you have to bear much fruit. See, this gets twisted up in church circles. So I grew up in church and my, my friends that I grew up with grew up in church. So, so this idea of conditional acceptance... See, see, love unconditionally. This is where we get into like weird religious arguments or arguments about, can I say like sexuality, sexual practices and how you spend your money. And society is telling you that you are no longer allowed to disagree with what anybody is doing because that is the same as hate. But isn't the tolerance of Christ like, I love you unconditionally no matter what kind of state that you are in and no matter how I disagree with you. I love you unconditionally, but I love you way much to keep you there. And so when myself and, say, a Muslim person get together, now there's this thing in society that's like, you both have to agree. What? If you don't agree, you don't love. And I'm like, no, we disagree, but we still choose to love. So as soon as acceptance becomes unconditional, tolerance goes out the window. And I'm not even allowed to, there's this thing like coming out now, like this conversion thing. You're not allowed to convert people anymore. Isn't, aren't they trying to convert me to that? Right? You're trying to convert me to that conversion thing. Like, it makes literally no sense because they don't understand that you can disagree with somebody and love them all the same and still act like Jesus towards them. That you can still give and you can still sacrifice and you can still love and you can still do everything that you should do towards that person and disagree with what they're doing at the same time. 
I shouldn't agree with everything my daughters are doing all of the time. That would make me a bad father, an unhealthy person. But unhealthy people demand unconditional acceptance. You have to start, stop demanding unconditional acceptance of everything about you. Now, now in religious circles, what happens is, is who, who gets to decide what's accepted and what's not? See, when men start twisting the gospel of Christ and like, okay, I like the rules about, you know, uh, this thing or alcohol or that thing or whatever it is. Like, okay, God, I see your rules here, but because I, I don't want to break your rules, I'm going to add a bunch of my rules to your rules. And then I'm going to take my rules and your rules, and pretty soon they're all going to get mixed up into like my rules and your rules are the same. And then I'm going to apply them not just to my life, because some people have a weakness for alcohol or some people have a weakness for, you know, I don't know what, all sorts of sins. And because they themselves have a weakness and, and, and they themselves have a, a weakness in that area, what they think is that everybody has a weakness in that area. So then they take their very stringent rules and boundaries that are way back past the, the laws of God. And they're like, but God says this. And God's like, no, I said this. And they're like, no, but you said this. And God's like, no, I'm tired of arguing about this. And you try to apply this to everybody around you and, and you, stop, you stop accepting the behaviors that God says is okay because now it's the behaviors that you say that is okay. And then your love becomes unconditional right in the church. And you start like, well, now all of a sudden it's like your music is the best music. And you don't like singing that worship song because it's just not your thing. And it doesn't say the name of Jesus 47 times in it. Or like whatever the rules are. And church people get really weird because all of a sudden the laws that, that, that accepts people they're the ones who are deciding it and not heaven anymore. And you have to be very, very careful about that. I don't know why I needed to say that, but I just thought I would mention that about the church thing. When religion starts turning into man-made stuff, it gets all weird. Now, hate always follows unconditional acceptance. What starts as unconditional love becomes unconditional, and then it gets twisted into unconditional acceptance. But as soon as unconditional acceptance of every behavior comes in, then that person's love starts turning to hate. And then we see intolerance, and then we see racism, and then we see religious intolerance, and the freedoms start getting removed from the lives of people. Um, Matthew chapter 25 says this, Jesus is telling us a parable. Now, a parable is just a story that Jesus tells you to counteract the story you've been telling you that allows you to be unhealthy. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now this here, I should say he's calling his own servants. So this is like Jesus is speaking of, of some you know, mysterious master out there who calls his own servants. But we know now that he's talking of his father in heaven who calls his own servants. So this, I would say, is specifically designed, although if you're not a Christ follower, um, I hope that you're moving towards that. But, but this is more towards those who would consider themselves religious. Um, and you're going to like it just because of that, because you'll see where the story goes here. It says, to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Uh, so, so what is, oh, I just lost all my notes and I don't know what to do now. Hang on, hang on. Okay, good, good. I'm back. All right, Shady's back. All right. Um, so what does that mean to talents? Are you talking about talents like, you know, they're good at playing tennis or something? No, a talent was a sum of money. And so, um, so last week I talked about, you know, the, the man who was forgiven 10,000 talents. Okay, a talent was about, um, I just wrote it down here. A talent was about one, uh, it was about, say, a, a, a laborer's wage for 20 years. 
So one man got five of those, like a hundred years. My math, five times. Okay, a hundred years of of a, a person's labor. That's ultimately what he got. And another one got whatever two talents is, and then one talent. Um, so this is uh, all of these were large sums of money. It says to each according to his own ability, and immediately went on a journey. So everybody listening is like, okay, so these guys got lots of money. That has nothing to do with my life. But here's what I would say: like, if you're a mother of a child the destiny of that child is a lot of years. You've been given a lot of responsibility, right? People matter more than money, and that's like, the, you know, that child's going to live till they're 80 or, or you know. And, and that idea of, like, there's been something invested to you that you need to be serious about, and God has invested it in you. Then it says, he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. So, wow, he just, he just doubled the investment and made another 100 years of labor. That word, um, that word uh, uh, made another means to labor. Like he worked it. He worked the ground. Remember, the seed is good. It's the soil. If you work the soil, the seed will always grow. It says likewise, he would receive two, gain two more also. That means like he won as in combat. I love that. Um, now, but he who had received one. Now, this is where this story is going. He who had received one, the unhealthy person, the unhealthy servant, he went and dug in the ground. We do this all the time. And hid his Lord's money. Come on, COVID fans. Get your job back. Get off the couch. Government can't pay you forever for doing nothing. Like, be a member of society and start paying the bills. Let's get the money going again here before we all starve. He went and he hid the money in the ground. See, something about his unhealthy mentality allowed him to be cowardly in his thinking. If I demand unconditional acceptance of you, I won't be able to take the risk that a son of God needs to take. It's a risk, you know. The guys who went and traded for this, they would have had failures along the way. They would have at times... Just about lost it all and somehow climbed back out and figured out another way and figured out another way. Like, it took a lot of courage. This guy here, he got scared. He just went and buried it. He froze and he panicked and he freaked out and he did nothing. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came, brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I gained five talents more beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear from God, your heavenly father, when you get to heaven. Not like you were the laziest kid on the block. No, man, I want to hear well done. That would mean something for me. Your father in heaven is healthy, and he will not say that if he has to lie to say it. Everybody wants to live in a healthy home, but I'll tell you, I had to earn compliments from my father. He was... Now, I'll say this. Like, my mom, she was pretty free with praise. My dad was not. But I'll tell you, when my dad's like, hey, good job. That's all it would take, man. Nobody else, you could say anything about me. I don't care what my friends thought about me. My dad thought I did a pretty good job. And the heck with everybody else, if that's what it needs to be. There's something in God, your Heavenly Father, like his words weigh a lot. And, and he says, well done. You are faithful in a few things. And he's like, this is a few things? I know that what you have right now doesn't seem like much, but one day... It will lead to much. It says, enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had received the two talents came and said, you delivered two, I gained two more. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. I will make you ruler over many things. Now enter the joy of the Lord. Now, now, here we get to the part. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord. 
The longer the sentence is, the wronger you are. The longer it is, the wronger you are. I know if I'm counseling somebody and they, they start, they breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, and their breath in is a long one, I know what's coming. Very long sentences that tell everybody why it's not your fault. If my kids, if I walk into a room and everything gets real quiet because they've been like, you know, and I walk in and I'm like, what happened? The kid who is in the right has the shortest sentences. Parents, come on, this is a life hack. The one who starts talking and keeps talking is wrong. I don't even have to know what they're arguing about. It's just true. He, he, <laughs> healthy people don't need a lot of oxygen. When they get cornered, man, it's just like, no. You know why? Because healthy people spend all their energy dealing with issues and not dealing with complaining about everything. Unhealthy people need lots of energy to tell themselves lots of stories rather than just take the energy and fix the problem in their marriage. Look, if I'm hurting your feelings now, like just come back for Father's Day because I'm going to like straight up fire. I don't care. I'm going to be preaching to man. I don't have to care what everybody feels. It's going to be awesome. Um, Watch how hostile this unhealthy, entitled person becomes to his master. Now, we know that he's talking about God as Heavenly Father. Watch how hostile you can get towards God, your Heavenly Father, who has never done anything wrong, who actually entrusted you with all the things that he has given you. Watch how hostile a non-investor gets. Watch. He says, watch this, this servant. He doesn't come in like, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble now. No, he has a story that makes him angry because now it's like the rent comes due and he's like, you need to unconditionally accept me right now. And he says, I knew you to be a hard man. Here's his heavenly father. I knew you to be a hard man. Boys in the Cope home didn't talk like that to their father. Ooh. You sure about this? He had worked his way into anger and hate. I knew you to be a rough, stern, harsh man. You, you monster. Right? What did, what did the master do? He invested in him. You horrible monster. The unhealthy person always thinks that the healthy person is a horrible monster. Because they expect good things from them. He says, you monster, are you reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you not, have not scattered seed? What? This is where my dad would be like, boy, I'm talking about you. You want to turn this on me? We need to talk about you, son. This is about you. It has nothing to do with me. And he says, and I was afraid of you. I think that you should be afraid, but I don't think you're afraid anymore. I think you're mad. Man, if, if you allow anger in your children, they're not going to be afraid to do what's wrong anymore. Man, we were not allowed to get mad when we screwed things up when we were kids. I'm telling you straight up. You don't have the right to feel anything but stupid sometimes. If you did something stupid, feel stupid. That's healthy, what healthy people do. And then they get tired of feeling stupid. And they fly right. If you allow anger in your kids when they mess something up or hurt somebody, ooh, they will turn into an adult who victimizes people and feel sorry for themselves while they do it. Woo. Okay. All right. And I was afraid of you. No, no. The truth is when he buried it, he wasn't afraid. He was just lazy. He was just unhealthy. 
Now he should be afraid, but he's not. But he's worked himself into this corner where he's this a horrible monster. He says, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. Now, look, I don't know about your dad, but my dad. There's something about this unconditional, those in the unconditional acceptance camp that will pull the wrath of a holy father in heaven towards them. Yep. You'll demand it. Would you talk to God like this? This man does. When you're unhealthy, you will. He's like, I was afraid of you. And he's just poking the bear, man. Do you want to do that to God? But when you're unhealthy, there's something in your psyche in the story that you tell yourself that will turn it and then he'll become the monster for the reason why your life is not working. It pulls the justice and anger of God towards it. Make no mistake, God is angry about the sin in the state of the world. He wants it fixed, and he wants it fixed now before more people get hurt. And his inroad into fixing it is the body of Christ. Spurgeon says, albeit this man was doing nothing for his master, he did not think himself an unprofitable servant. He exhibited no self-depreciation, no humbling, no contrition. He was as bold as brass and said unblushingly, look, you have what's yours. Now, 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 this is not talking to the person who, who doesn't go to church and the person who's an orphan, lost in sin and pain and suffering. This is not talking to that person. This is talking to the sons and daughters of God. This is talking to the servants of Christ in the house of God. His Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. That means you irritating, annoying, get under my skin. You ever have somebody work for you that just got under your skin? You sluggish, you slothful, you backcountry. That's what this means. You. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. You know why God can gather where he has not scattered seed? Because he's God. Because he's God. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Like, look, if you're not enterprising enough or have enough energy, at least get to next to somebody who does. And give it to them and let them work it and give it back. He says, therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. And everybody in Canada said, well, that's not fair. Oh, it's not fair. Fair. Fair for who? Your sense of fairness only has to do with you and you not getting your comeuppance. When I want what's fair, like, I'm not asking, like, God, judge me for my sins. I want what's fair. No, I just mean, like, you give me what it is that you have because I'm jealous right now, you know. It doesn't mean, like, justice. No, it's not that. And then, then the, the master says, for, to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Which I'm reading like this. I'm reading like this. If you insist on remaining unhealthy, body of Christ, when the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and quickened his mortal body and raised him three days later in the face of everything that every devil in hell could do, if that spirit dwells inside of you and you're still unhealthy, it's because you want to be. And until you get to the place where you're like, I'm tired of me. I'm tired of being unhealthy. It says, even what you have will be taken away from you because God is saying, look, my kingdom is not like the kingdom on the earth. I will love unconditionally. And as much as they say they love unconditionally, if they're accepting unconditionally, they do not love unconditionally. It doesn't, eventually they will conditionally love. Then they'll be like, and then they'll call everybody else full of hate. 
They're like, no, no, no. The kingdom of heaven accepts sons and daughters acting like sons and daughters of heaven. Like healthy parents do. Like healthy spouses do. Like healthy friends do. See, if you refuse to get healthy. Now, I'm not saying that I don't have work to do in my life and you don't have work to do. No. But I cannot get to the place where I'm like, I'm content being unhealthy. I'm content being sinful. All we do then is we just move the, the, the target to where the arrows are flying. But when the target is the word of God for codes of conduct and morality, and we're like, no, when I fail, it's not the word of God. It's not God's fault. It's mine. And by the spirit of God and the help of my church community, I'm going to bring my arrows back to target, but I'm not moving the target to where the arrows are. And I'll tell you, when churches move the target to where the arrows are flying, things get weird real quick. But I pray God, by the grace of God, let Venue Church not do that. Let us love unconditionally, but let us be accepted by the conditions of heaven. See, the deeper issue is this, for an unconditional acceptance person, for an unhealthy person. I'm talking to you right now. The deeper issue is not that I'm demanding of my spouse that she accept me while I'm unhealthy. The deeper issue is that a long time ago, I made a deal with the devil that I accepted me when I'm unhealthy. Because I didn't have the courage to face what I should have been. And I told myself that I couldn't, and then eventually I just didn't want to anymore. And when I make that deal, I'm the only one who can unmake that deal. I'm the only one who can pull it back there. Like, you can live, you, honestly, some, some of y'all ladies, you could live with Jesus. And I don't know that you could make it work with him. I don't know that he could make it work with you because you insist on being unhealthy. Or you live with the, the female version of Jesus, man, and like you're just like, you're just trying to change them into what you want. But it won't work because you're not healthy. And until you pull it back to the place where you're like, this is on me. I'm unhealthy and I actually want to be this way. That's why I'm this way. I don't want everything to happen to me that happened to me, but I want to remain in this condition because the power of heaven is at my back, but I won't utilize it to get better. I won't go to a small group. I won't give my money away. Come on. I won't let, uh, band together with a, a bunch of brothers. Oh, next week's sermon. Oh my goodness. I won't band together with a bunch of brothers who demand that I do well, who demand that I become a better father and husband, who demand that I become a better friend and a better son of God. I will not do that because I don't want to because I'm afraid. And you have to get back to this place where you're like, God, I don't want to. And I don't even know if I can change that. But would you help me want to? And I need to want to. And not wanting to is sin. And I need your help to get healthy, Heavenly Father. And then you need to go and confess your sin to somebody else and say, I'm not healthy and it's on me. And I need you to help me get healthy. Some of you need to get healthy eating and and exercising. And you just need your bodies healthier. You're going to die too young. You're going to leave your kids before you ought to. And some of you, morally, you're unhealthy. You're impure. Some of you, we're just unhealthy in our thoughts. and our, We just play this victim mentality constantly. Nobody can live with that for long, guys. Listen, everybody's childhood sucked. Everybody. Some of you wouldn't have wanted my childhood. But I refuse to allow my childhood and the horrible things that, and I grew up in a great family, but the other things that, I refuse to let that, Not make me a son of God and act like a son of God. I refuse to let it take my destiny. I refuse to be unhealthy. I refuse to want to be unhealthy. Here, I'm going to end the sermon with this. Cain and Abel. We see this right from the beginning. Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. 
God says, okay, I'm going to start this whole relationship with mankind because you wouldn't know how to do that. I'm going to adopt you into my family, sons of God. Okay, sons, but to maintain this relationship, we've got to deal with sin because God never accepts sin. He sacrificed Jesus so that he could take away sin so that when he looks at you, he doesn't see sin, he sees Jesus. So don't you make a deal with sin. And he says to Cain and Abel, okay, but what I give of you, you need to give back. That's what makes a healthy relationship. Because if God just handed you everything, that makes spoiled kids, and God doesn't have spoiled kids. He's like, you need to invest back with me. And he said, bring an offering. It says that Abel brought a good offering. He brought it first. He brought the best. Cain brought the offering kind of when he wanted to and what he could afford. I think that's how that scripture plays out. And it says that God accepted Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. This is where you have to understand the heart of your heavenly father. He loved them both unconditionally, but he only accepted one's offering. And Cain got so mad at God, he ended up murdering his brother in the first family that existed because he didn't love conditionally, because he wouldn't allow himself to to be conditionally accepted. And his love turned to hate, and he murdered his brother out of his jealousy and his rage, and he hated God, and he ran from the face of God. And some of you have been doing that your entire life, and now today is the day that it's going to stop. In Genesis 4-7, God says, if you do well, Cain, will you not be accepted? Catch that. It's not, you can do anything you want and be accepted. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And I love that scripture. He's like, no matter what you've done, you can still rule over sin in your life if you stop telling yourself the story. And if you decide, I will no longer accept sin in my life. I will come to God for forgiveness. I will confess my sins to another and I will get better. I will no longer be an unhealthy person. That's not, listen, that's not the real me. There's two versions of me. One I don't even like hanging around with, and you're right. You know what, sweet? I had to apologize to my wife the other day. I hung up on the phone with her. I was mad about something. I was under pressure, and I, you know, I had this story. Then I just had to call her and apologize. That's on me. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, good. Oh, you, the pastor's full of sin. Yeah, well, sometimes. <laughs> but hey, I don't want to accept that part of me because it's not right. And I don't want to ask her to either. But now is the day. Today is the day. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person watching online. I pray for every person here that, Father, we would stop telling ourselves the story that allows us to be unhealthy, that we would start loving unconditionally by, by, by not accepting everything that we do, Father. I pray that we would fall under the conditions of heaven and the kingdom of heaven for our conduct, for our thought lives, Lord God, for what we speak and how we touch people and how we, how we respond to people and what we allow ourselves to feel, that it would honor God, that it would honor the Son of the living God and the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we could be shining lights in a dark world, Father, so that the church of God can rise up and unconditionally love people. When all this hatred is going on, that we could unconditionally love, but also stand up for what's right in the world, I pray. Oh God, in Jesus' name, for justice, and truth and forgiveness in every family and every home today. In Jesus' name, amen.